Friends, I must tell you, I am awfully suspicious of Epiphany. If it weren't recounted in Scripture itself, I think I could easily discount it completely. It has to do with looking at and interpreting the stars. Isn't that heretical? We're not supposed to be into astrology or looking for signs or rumors of war or fortune-telling methods. Scripture says that, too. What's the sticking point here, then? The thing that's different, that makes wise men following a star to be not only something that's okay and permissible in Scripture and in the story of God's revelation that he gives to us, but much more than permissible, it's one of the major feasts of the church. It's not some asterisk or footnote or afterthought. It's one of the great big yearly celebrations. So since I can't dismiss it out of hand, and it doesn't sit right to ignore the way in which God communicates with these pagans, I think we've got to spend some time looking a bit closer at the story and reflecting on what it might mean for us today. I would tell you right now that this sermon is not headed to a full-throated affirmation of reading one's star sign pages in the newspaper or seeking your future through tarot card readings. Not only are these methods to hoodwink desperate people into parting with lots of money, but they are crutches that hobble real faith and true surrender. And that, unmysterious and unalluring as it may seem right now, is where we're headed today. Formed as I have been by scripture and by the church over decades of worship and learning and prayer, It's not wrong to be suspicious of the power of stars or of dreams that direct us in the right and true and godly way to go as the wise men experience near the end of our gospel reading today. But if we live our lives unchallenged by the boundaries of what is expected and what is proper, of what faith ought to look like, and where God does and doesn't show up. We might live blinded from God's great and glorious work in the world and even in our very own lives. Father Jordan's very favorite preacher of all time says that if nothing Jesus says offends you, then you are not listening closely enough. A corollary of this truth might be, if you only find God in places and people and experiences that you expect he might inhabit, then you are not watching closely enough. The fact remains, my friends, that for these wise men from the East, God used a star. He showed up in the heavens, not riding some chariot of clouds or as an old man with a great flowing white beard, but as a light, a burning ball of gases moving across the sky, a common constellation, which St. Matthew says, 
the astronomers observed at its rising. If God revealed himself by way of a star to these pagans, and indeed that sciency ball of gas led these Gentiles exactly to the very foot of Jesus, I wonder where God might be showing up in our own lives today. God showed up in a stable among animals. I wonder if God shows up in migrant and refugee camps. God showed up as the baby of a poor, uneducated couple. I wonder if God shows up among children in our very own neighborhood who live below the poverty line and can't even read by the end of second grade. When God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, he did not choose the lifestyle of Samuel the prophet, for example, that one who had been prayed for fervently by his mother in the temple and indeed was brought to live in the temple for the rest of his life just as soon as he was weaned. His is a great and laudable life which God used mightily to guide and protect his people. But it was not the life that God took for himself. It's not where God chose to dwell while he lived on earth. Jesus dwelt with pagans, untouchables, rejects. He hung out with the nerds, the uncool. In their humility, these pagan astronomers became known for all time as wise men. What is it, do we think, that earns them this great name, that adjective and identifier, wise? What cultivates wisdom in a person, whether in the first century or today? What in God's kingdom and in his estimation makes for wisdom. We learn from the example of the wise men willing as they were to notice and explore how God might be present in the stars they saw and the dreams they had. That a wise person pays attention and continually tests and questions the unexamined boundaries of what kind of thing God might do, of where God would show up in the world. Wisdom comes from paying attention. And even that, not automatically or without divine intervention. Yes, our life experiences can be sources of wisdom, our trials and our suffering and our age and our book learning, all these can be sources of wisdom. But none of this is automatic. None of this is given. Just as we read three weeks ago in the Gospel of Luke, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. 
The axe is always lying at the root of our pride and our comfort. The searing and cleaving truth of God is always poised on our shoulder, ready to reveal more of our beloved Lord and ready to kill more of our vanity, our vain assumptions, our worldly wisdom. Perhaps the most terrifying thing is to stop being challenged to change and test, to stop seeing and noticing God in discomforting and unexpected places. Perhaps the darkest thing that could happen in our lives is to be is to not be pushed and prodded by God and Jesus Christ as he shows up in things like disruptive infants or directive dreams or wisdom forming troubles wisdom is god given and through all sorts of outlets and tributaries. It's not the automatic result of reading lots of books or putting lots of knowledge in your head or even from having lots of life experiences. I myself saw a sad case this week where a person had been through many, many trials, but he hadn't reflected on or grown from any of his experiences. He was stuck in the same cycles of woe, not accepting God's hand out of the miry pit, up into wisdom and new life. Wisdom, that is, recognizing God and recognizing God's truth in the world is only ever a gift from God. And so it turns out that God's kingdom is based on surrender. The surrender of Jesus on the cross, the surrender of God to taking on not just human form, but the form of a poverty-stricken infant. God's kingdom based on surrender demands that we forget what we know and what we think we know. And as we are stripped down and peeled away from our assumptions, taken apart, we are granted new eyes. We're encouraged to let go of judgment and of what's been comfortable and of the way it's always been And to simply look for Jesus. We watch for the star. We pay attention to the poor mother and to the wise pagan. And we cherish even the disruptive babies. Amen. Amen.